Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 211, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, it's our fifth annual Classy Awards. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, it's our 2021 recap episode. What is the most listened to episode? Which episode was clicked on the most on our website? And more. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, Director of Curriculum and Instruction and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing on this lovely December day? Listen, I am so pumped today. We are just a day or two away from a much-needed holiday break. But more importantly, we've made it through another semester of teaching and learning in a pandemic. Right. Um, you know, my being in a new position and implementing a lot of things in our district. And I'm just really pumped about it because some days, you know, I'm down and out. and like, oh, I don't know if we're being as effective. But... Uh, I think we've had a really good fall semester, and I hope that's the case for all of our educator friends out there listening. I mean, I, if you're an educator and you've made it this far, you should at least feel like you can accomplish anything. It's almost like finishing, and we're not done, but it's almost like, you know, getting through like a marathon mm-hmm. or something like it's like, if I can a- accomplish this hard. Like, this is the amazing, this is the amazing race. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like, here we are, just still going on. We had our world rocked in uh, March of 2020. And here we are in December 2021. And we're just finding ways to make it work. Uh, Kudos to everybody out there. So yeah, there is a feeling of optimism, even in darkness. Yes. And I have to shout out to teachers and principals. They are in the trenches. It has been probably the hardest um, school year um, for, for probably all educators as it's most different. The children are so different. Our resources and how we're um, teaching children through a pandemic. And shout out to them because they are the ones making it happen. And if you see a teacher or a principal, you know, just thank them for their service because they're really selfless in what they're doing. And it's hard. Um, it's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. But I'm just so proud that every single one has pushed through to make it to this point to say we've completed half of the school. Year. It's funny because I forget that like different parts of the country are experiencing different things at different times, whether that's, you know, COVID or the how they've kind of have adapted and gone back to teaching. Um, you know, here in the South, we kind of were a little bit more aggressive about getting back in the classroom. But last week I was reading this article, I think it was out of the New York Times. It was either the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. But it basically was like, parents are upset that um, schools are closing on Fridays and only going to school for four days a week. And it had something to do with COVID and so forth. And I'm like, we we were doing that all last year. No one really complained. Like, we all are in this together as a parent. I'm speaking as a parent. Like, we... You know, if school needs to be closed on Friday for whatever reason because of COVID, then let's just live with it. Why are parents upset? Yep. Well, I I, I think it's because it impacts their household, oh, yeah. their schedules, and their plans. But at the same time, let's not look at it 
from a personal perspective, right. let's look at it about, you know, how this uh, positively impacts the whole child. And not only that, one of the things we've been saying for years is that teachers need more time to plan mm-hmm. and to regroup from, you know, several days of instruction. And I just think that last year, many of us were on that hybrid schedule where we had um, Wednesdays and we only served um you know, our at-risk learners, but teachers had anywhere from four to six hours for planning and training. And um, it made all the difference. And I think we do miss having that day mm-hmm. um, one day a week. And as a year. parent, it was inconvenient. Like, I get why parents are upset, but we need to be like, yeah. oh, well, we're going to have to figure it out because nothing's normal. Mm-hmm. And this is what we have to do. And like you said, it's better mm-hmm. for the child and the educator. And it makes more sense. So it does. Know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Hey, today is an exciting day because... This is, uh, we're like, what, four and a half years, I think, in doing this show. And every December, kind of right before the new year, we look back at the previous year's episode and highlight, you know, some of those episodes. And I've never really named it, like, what we're doing. I've never, like, gotten crazy about it or anything. I've just been like, let's look back. But then I was like, well, we need to name this, right? Like, this is our fifth annual. So I was like, what are we going (laughs) to call it? So I don't know. Maybe this is a silly name, but I'm going with fifth annual classies so we're gonna call it the classies this is like the oscars love it. of the class dismissed podcast so uh i'm excited yeah we're gonna kind of i'm excited too i'm imagining that i'm in my sequence attire right and there are lights everywhere and red carpet yeah and lots of photographs and paparazzi because you know there it is they care that much about us the thing that we're going to do here is some of this is statistically driven some of these awards and some of it is um opinionated so don't don't hate me you can send me an email if you feel like i missed something we had so many incredible guests um this year we have so many incredible guests every year so i always feel bad sometimes when we leave um somebody out who was like a really neat guest and i'll just give you an example uh, the um survivor man we had survivor man who like had his own tv show on the discovery channel talk about like outdoor learning and stuff he didn't make the list but he was a great interview right and that, that's kind of what i mean like so. and it's always yeah. hard to really narrow it down because they're all my favorites every single episode right I know. It's just I, I, I am so appreciative of people that, that want to help spread their knowledge, and, and they do it on this show. So I'm going to let you kind of like tee up each award as we go in. So are we ready to start the 2021 <laughs> Classies? Oh, yes. <laughs> go ahead. What's the first award that we're going to do today? We are ready to recognize the most downloaded episode. All right, so the most downloaded episode of Class Dismissed in 2021 was Rural Education in America May Not Be What You Think. That was the title, okay? And I don't know if you remember this one, but we had uh, some really interesting guests. There was uh, a husband and wife couple, Jeff and Sky Marietta, and they live in a very rural town in Harlan, Kentucky, all right? But their background wasn't like they were born and raised there and lived there their whole life. They actually went and lived in very populated cities and got very um, fancy degrees. I mean, they, they went to Yale and Harvard combined, and then they actually moved back and have dedicated their lives and their time to educating in a place like Harlan, Kentucky. So they had this perspective about rural education in America that was unique, and they, they mm-hmm. want people to know that rural education in America isn't necessarily what you may think it is. There's so much diversity in rural schools. Uh, You know, sometimes in American popular culture, we have this very compressed, simplistic sort of caricature of what does it mean to be rural. 
Um, rural doesn't necessarily mean white. It doesn't necessarily mean you're on a farmland. You know, we have rural communities that populations change quickly, uh, large immigrant populations. It could be anywhere from a place in Arkansas is going to be very different from a place that's in the Pacific Northwest versus in Appalachia. But there are some strengths that we see across them. The other complexity is there's even some urban districts that have portions of them that are rural. Um, what's the one in... Um, yeah, so like Hillsborough County, um, which is basically like the Tampa Bay area of Florida, it has a very urban area, but then it also has some very rural orange uh, citrus farms. Hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's a lot more complicated than... I think simply thinking about that Iowa farm or that, you know, Appalachian town in the mountains, coal mining community. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to assume what people think it's like. Well, you know what people think. If they hear the word rural, they think of, you know, miles and miles of just grass. And, you know, there's not really any hustling and bustling, which means they may not have, they must not have quality infrastructure. They don't have quality um, education. And it's completely the opposite. We definitely don't want to pretend like rural America's utopia, right? We're not saying it's perfect. But we lived in Boston for 11 years and moved basically from Cambridge, Massachusetts to Harlan County, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally, at the end of the day, people are not that different at Harvard than they are in Harlan County. People have the same desires. People are interesting. They're intellectually challenging. The other thing like I can say just from a personal level, like I grew up outside of um, Washington, D.C. In, in a big city. And I know you were in San Diego. And so like I moved mm-hmm. to South Mississippi and I had my own biases uh, when I came here in college. And some of the smartest people I know were educated in rural America here in Mississippi. That's true. And something else that they pointed out, though, is, you know, Students in rural areas, there's kind of a discrepancy in funding. Mm. Um, they may not be as poor as we assume just because we're, they're living in rural America, but because they're not as poor, they don't get all of the federal funding that many of the urban area schools with high poverty receive. And so although their families are doing well, um, you know, they have great teachers in their in their school districts. There are some resources that they're missing. For instance, when this whole pandemic hit, we know rural America struggled um, because of poor infrastructure and access to Internet. So I question, why aren't we just providing it for them? Right. Same thing in our rural areas here in Mississippi. Why aren't we just providing it for them? And so they made a really great point on that episode. Yep, no doubt. So if you, I was excited to see that this one had so much interest because it was important to me. And I think I even opened up like saying like, we haven't really talked about rural education in America, even though we're based in a fairly rural area. Uh, we just hadn't really mm-hmm. given it the focus that it probably deserves. And and I was glad to see that people um, were interested and appreciated that. All right. Me so, too. so next award, uh, go ahead. What's up oh, next? Our most clicked on article on the website. Okay. Yes. So this isn't necessarily, this is the most clicked on article in 2021, but it could have been an older article. And that was the case with this one. The article was actually originally posted in November of 2020. But it was, um, I think she was three or four time guest on the show. She's been great, very popular amongst educators, Jennifer Saravallo. It was about her book, Connecting with Students Online, Strategies for Remote Teaching and Learning. When you can get kids in small groups and one-on-one, that's when they really come alive. That's when they smile. That's when you laugh together. That's when they work their hardest. That's when you can really hold them accountable to practicing the things that you're teaching. And so my preference would be, 
to do more small groups and more one-on-one instruction synchronously, and then do more of the whole class, more of the curriculum-based lessons um, recorded. The other benefit to doing it recorded is that um, kids can watch and rewatch, and you can also develop a sort of like a library of little recorded lessons that you can send kids back to when you notice that they have issues. And I'm going to give you some behind the scenes stuff on this interview I had with her because I might have even clipped it out when I actually went into editing and post. But there was somewhere in the conversation where we were recording this in, you know, in 2020. And this was like right when we either just were starting to have a vaccine or we were getting Mm -hmm. close or something. And I said, you know, you're doing this book and, um, you know, but we, do you like expect that we'll even need this in late 2021? Um, or, you know, might we still need it? Anyways, I kind of sounded pessimistic about like where we were. And she kind of got mad at me. She was like, Nick, <laughs> I am optimistic that we are not going to still be like this in late 2021. There's a vaccine and stuff. And I, I might have just like clipped all of that out. I can't even remember if it's actually in the show. Um, unfortunately, uh, her book's still useful today. I mean, if we it could, is. you know, and, and here we are. So I, you know, she always said, like, this is the one book that she wished wouldn't be useful for an extended period of time. Um, I think it still is. And people have been, of course, finding it on our website. Well, um, believe it or not, I actually just hired a new teacher. Um, she started on Monday and she is a virtual teacher for our school district. And going through our classes, now I'm excited because I'm actually going to order three more copies of this book and make sure that my virtual teachers um, have access to this book. And so I'm so glad that we're reviewing it. And she's right. Um, it, it it will be around for a long time, in my opinion. I don't think virtual learning is ever going to go away. Um, I think that it pushed us in a direction where we needed to be a long time ago, to be honest. And I just think that her book is extremely helpful. Whatever Jennifer Saravalo does, like turns to gold, especially when she comes on our show, like she's come on and talked about her reading strategies book, her writing strategies book, um, and understanding text and readers. And I, she just has this like cult following. She, I think she's based in New Jersey or somewhere up in the Northeast. Um, and she just turns out very, if you're like a organized and precise person, her content um, just really will probably speak to you as an educator. So definitely check her out. So what's the next award that we have for our 2021 classes? Our next award, and it's also oh important, our most useful episodes for teachers. Okay, so yeah, this one was is more opinionated rather than statistically uh, driven. And I'm going with how to grab the attention of your distracted students. And so we live in this world where, you know, attention spans seem shorter. Um, We have devices. uh, So it's kind of like a good dive into um, how you can actually get their attention and maybe approach them in a different way. Um, It's actually a professor of English out of Assumption University. His name's James Lang. And he wrote a book called Distracted, Why Students Can't Focus and What You Can Do About It. Yeah, so what happens when we look back at sort of historically at people talking about their abilities to pay attention, we find right from the beginning of the historical record that people have been concerned about this, that they have um, not been able to pay attention as closely as they would like, and that they feel distracted. Um, So we can, you know, I have quotes in the book from Aristotle, from, from Augustine, from uh, you know, poets and writers and thinkers right down from, you know, ancient, from antiquity to the present day. So people have been concerned about this issue for a long time. And it seems like, you know, it's a sort of a basic sort of biological um, 
sort of feature of our brain. And I just really liked his approach. It was down to earth. Um, it was reasonable. Um, he's not saying like you should just ban cell phones in the classroom. It's much more thoughtful than that. We are drawn to novelty in our environment. We are kind of, you know, frequently scanning our environment, um, seeking out new and interesting things. And that sort of tendency is what leads it, uh, us into distractions. Now, what I do like to tell people is it's not that somehow our brains have changed, because um, that's something that happens over many generations. What's happened is that our technologies today have gotten very good at playing on our distractible brains. Little tips like how to mm -hmm. start every lesson with a question um, and just to kind of like grab Getting their attention. Getting them to think deeply, right. yes. Or um, using their names more and, and the power um, that that has. I think the key point that stood out for me is that he shared that the job of the teacher is to create the circumstances where children are not distracted. And that's hard when you don't have a tool belt, if you're not um, you know, a veteran teacher who understands how to get deep levels of engagement. But he's absolutely right that we have to create classroom environments where we prevent the distractions from happening and engage children with quality instruction, relevant instruction, and to cause them to think. And not only that, to really be in charge of their learning. Right. All right. So that's good stuff. That is the most useful episode for teachers. Now let's go to the next one. Oh, here we go. This, this tugs at my heart. The best episode for school leaders. Yes. And the winner was how to become a conflict agile school leader. And these guys were great. They were um, out of New York. Um, it's Robert Frierson and Seth Weitzman. Uh, one is with the New York Institute of Technology. The other is a retired New York uh, principal. And they were very, I just love their tone um, and their attitude of approaching things. They were very matter of fact, but also very empathetic at the same time. It was a good And very balance. relevant. Right. And, and so they kind of give some great advice on uh, what they call conflict agility. Conflict is inevitable, and uh, conflict should not be avoided or dealt with aggressively. So conflict really needs to be managed constructively. Uh, and when managed constructively, uh, it can produce great gains for the entire school. When that happens, uh, your emotional levels go down, and the the concern and the, the agitation, and, that, and also that desire for a quick fix. I know... Uh, when I was a school leader, um, I felt tremendous pressure not only to have the answer to everything, but also to find it quickly. And I think that tr that exerts a tremendous psychological pressure on oneself and uh, creates the opportunity to make mistakes. You, you, you jump at the wrong things. You you get emotional. You, you, you say the wrong thing or you write the wrong thing. Uh, whereas if you take a step back and look at conflict from maybe 30,000 feet, you see, this is an opportunity to engage with others in meaningful discussions because at the root of the conflict is something important. What stood out for me is the fact that their strategies are centered around depersonalizing conflict. From the leadership role, we can never make it about us and we should never take it personal. We have to, you know, stay on that fine line of addressing the conflict and the issue um, without inflecting our feelings or our opinions. And I just think that, that that stood out big time for me. All right, this next award I really liked. I don't know. The most thought-provoking guest. Right, and this one blew my mind. And I had to like really think about it as I was talking to this gentleman. But he is a National Geographic writer and he offers a new approach to teaching biology. And I'm going to try to 
to explain this as eloquently as he did, but his name's Doug Chadwick. You shouldn't be able to, in my opinion, be able to get through a high school biology class without understanding a heck of a lot more about who you are. So he's a wildlife biologist. And I mean, so he's been out in the field, you know, photographing and writing about grizzly bears and uh, whales and wolverines and just, you know, he has this really great history of of studying animals. But his new mission is really about how we need to rethink of how we as humans are kind of fit into the, com- the community, nature, every- everything around us. You know, it hit me, I guess, just, gosh, I'm, made me feel like I'm pretty slow. It takes, uh, what do I need? A sledgehammer up alongside the head. Um, I don't have time to write about all the species one by one, all the wild places one by one that need attention and a little more help to to survive the the current um, eight billion people and their activities in the world, and so I thought I don't know of a bigger subject than what's the nature of nature and what's the nature of nature in us. But I thought again until we understand that, then I'm out putting my finger in holes in the dike, as is every other conservationist. And I think we need a much more sweeping change in the way we think about ourselves and the importance of nature. You know, that it's not a hobby. It's not a, a special interest. It's not a good thing to do because you like um, antiquities or, you know, any of the other ways we perceive nature is sort of a luxury. He thinks that the only way we're going to do this and actually maybe have a different thought process when it comes to things like climate change is if we start teaching kids in the K through 12 classroom and the science room, uh, how we're basically the same. We have the same DNA as so many other things. Like for example, yes. like he says the, the one thing that kind of will make you say what he says, we are, have the same DNA. We are 23% a wine grape, like this is the same DNA. <laughs> yes. Or, or next step, he could say we're 99% of our genetic makeup is no different than a chimpanzee or bonobo. So if, if once we start to think that way, that we're, we're all one, we're all this giant organism, mm-hmm. we may look at the rest of the world differently. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that the point he drove home about when children leave a, a science class, specifically biology, they should not only understand the biological concepts, but they should know more about who they are. And so to me, that's all about your approach to teaching science. And, you know, that's a a, a shift in thinking. Yeah. I mean, we as humans, I think we have the tendency, it's almost like we're programmed to think like, you know, we're dominant and everything, you know, bows to us. But I think his point's a little different. And, and the name of his book, um, again, the author is Douglas Chadwick. His book is called Four Fifths a Grizzly Bear because we are basically have the same genetic makeup as four fifths of a grizzly bear. So, um, and I love the cover photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really is great. Interesting interview. Um, and he was so humble because he's like, look, I'm not a teacher. I don't want to tell these people, you know, how um, they should be teaching. But, this is this is what I think. Like this is what we're missing. So it was really neat to kind of hear his delivery because he was more of a wildlife biologist than he was a K through twelve teacher. Well, our next award is right in your corner. One of your loves, best edtech pitch. Yes, this one actually is uh, full disclosure the class dismiss sponsor, but um, 
and, and, I, and I will give honorable mention there, there we had another really good one um, that I almost uh, gave it to which was related to a competition for the uh, TI calculator um, mm-hmm. so that's a good one too but but this one, the reason I grabbed it is because it's so relevant to the time. Uh, school Status, our sponsor, um, and the title is Contact Tracing at School. There's a tool for that. And it relates to the fact that they added to their existing software, which is communications and data analytics. They basically added some buttons that allows you to quickly contact trace in the classroom. Basically, we wanted a way for someone to log into our software to find a student, uh, my daughter's name is Sloan Davis. So let's find Sloan Davis, and then let's kick a but- click a button and find all of the students that they may have come in contact with based on their schedule. Right. So, and, so, and so it's not like you can't ever just say based on walking past in the hallway, but I guess you're actually correct. Like driving into like w- which classes has this child been in. Correct. Which classes the child have been in and if they put their extracurriculars on their schedule as well or their buses or things like that. We can also tell like what Uh is the bus that they've been in contact with. If they are on the football team, let's let's look at that. And so this is really a starting place. It's not really, you know, we call it a contact tracing report. It's not really like click point and click contact tracing because that really technology doesn't exist today. It requires a human element. Right. We just want to give them a place to start. That is just so helpful because one, when you do it by paper, you have to, you know, be worried about privacy and the protection of that information. Having to get all housed in this platform allows you to have access to it anywhere, but only if you have access to the platform. So it's safe and it's quick. It's quickly accessible. Um, I also love just one specific piece of it is how teachers can create seating charts mm-hmm. within this platform to be able to, you know, get to that contracting contact trace information really quickly. Yeah. We've actually had to use it here in our school district. There, Well, the reason I knew it was important, too, is because I know that they picked up a client, and I won't say the specific school district, but it was in California, and they bought the product just for contact tracing. Like they needed a solution. They found that school status had the solution. And I mean, it it sounds funny because they offer so many other tools, but it was specifically the contact tracing. They needed something to do that with. So uh, anyways, that's our 2021 classes. Uh, Such a great year. Again, very appreciative of all the guests and all the listeners out there. Um, We hope to continue it into uh, 2022. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>